When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Here we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in-depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. Growing bulls correctly is arguably the most important thing that we do. Do it wrong and you won't have a market for something that lacks growth. Push too hard and you'll destroy his rumen, fertility, and longevity. It's probably one of the trickiest balancing acts in all of seed stock. There's a reason we all know and repeat the saying, cowboys don't want fat bulls, but they'll sure pay for them. We are all trying to find that sweet spot that keeps us marketable and sound. While a lot of nutrition science is specific to individual areas, there's also a lot of universal truths in growing and keeping bulls. I brought in Dr. Philip Lancaster from K-State to talk about all those things we need to keep in mind when growing and maintaining bulls. Let's dig in. I want to tell you about a great sponsor of this program, Walter's Cattle Farm out of Kentucky. Robert and Sandy have been longtime Black Hereford members and breeders. Their tireless work and unshakable support for American Black Herefords was genuinely instrumental in getting the breed where it is today. If you're looking to add some depth and muscle to your Black Herefords, make sure you've taken a look at what they're doing down there at Walter's Cattle Farm. You can find them on Facebook by searching Walter's Cattle Farms or give Robert a call at 270-832-1180. I'm here with another episode of the Black Hereford Chronicles, and today we're going to focus in on bull development. We we recently talked quite a bit about heifer development, so we're going to flip it to the other side. And I've got Dr. Philip Lancaster here, and I just am really excited about how this conversation is going to play out. So would you introduce yourself to our audience, kind of talk about your background in the industry and where you're at, what you're doing now? Yeah, well, hi. Good morning, Jennifer, and thank you for having me on. Um, so, give you a little bit about my background. Um, I grew up in Illinois on a family farm. Um, it was a mix of livestock and row crops, and um, so um, I grew up just in agriculture. And it was, you know, a small rural farming community. And there, a lot of my friends in high school were but farm kids and stuff. So it was just like, was kind of the environment. And so that's 
the passion I had was was agriculture and and moving forward and and in my career I decided that I was really interested in beef cattle and then specifically beef cattle nutrition and so that's kind of where my career path has led me um, I worked. After my bachelor's degree, I worked for a little bit at a feedlot there in Illinois um, and then decided to come back to school um, and got my graduate degrees at Mizzou and Texas A&M. And then I spent a little time at Oklahoma State and the University of Florida and then back to Missouri again and then here to Kansas at at K-State. So my current position here at K-State I work with the Beef Cattle Institute and bring the nutrition component to that uh, multidisciplinary team uh, where we focus on a lot on nutrition and health um, is a lot of my my focus right now. So you've been all over. That has to provide an interesting perspective in the way you look at things, because raising cows in Florida is very different than Kansas. Yes, it is very, very (laughs) different. Um, So, yeah, so it gives me um, some different perspectives. It gives me a lot of wide range of knowledge, I guess you would say. And and even specific to our topic today, um, my... PhD work at Texas A&M, we did a lot of work with a bull test or bull development center there, um, looking at um, residual feed intake and and the selection for that trait in bulls. So I've got got quite a bit of experience around. (laughs) Yeah, I love bull tests. It's something that we've talked about as a breed for a while because there's just so much knowledge that you can get. And especially with the technology that's available today, how deep they can dig down into that data they're getting back is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got technology that collects, frankly, collects more data than we really know what to do with. <laughs> well, that's better than none. <laughs> yes, but it also makes some difficulties in making decisions. And because I've got too many things to look at and I don't know what to focus on sometimes. That also sounds like a great way to keep grad students busy. Yes, yes, it does. (laughs) Well, we wanted to talk today about bull nutrition. And I want to start with those young bulls that we're developing, hoping to sell. You know, we got a lot of breeders that sell as yearlings and 18-month bulls. It's interesting just the breakdown on how that has shifted industry-wide in the last few years. But I, I think there's a pretty solid split between 18-monthers and, and yearlings that are marketed. So as we're growing those bulls, to me, the the biggest question that I always have is what kind of average daily gain we should be looking at. And I want to start there and then we'll dig down in. But what ADG should we be hoping for as we're growing these bulls? So part of that is going to be the type of bull. So um, the the type of bull, the mature size of the bull and the, the muscling of that bull is going to influence the average daily gain that you can achieve without getting him too fat. That's the key. So we don't want to over fatten that bull because getting that bull too fat um, negatively impacts uh testicular development and sperm quality and things like that. So we we don't want to push him too hard to get him too fat. So kind of knowing your genetics and knowing what the potential of those 
bulls is or before you try to to figure out how you're going to feed them is is a big part of it so knowing what they're going to do but um probably shooting for a rate of gain of around three to three and a half would would probably be a good ballpark for most situations again depending on the type of cattle you got um without getting them over fat um we don't want to push them so hard that we are causing um, rumen issues because we're we're trying to push too much starch into them. Um, we don't want to, and we, like I said, we don't want to get them over fat. So we've got to kind of figure out what they need to gain, but we want to push them hard enough that they will um, show their genetic potential to some degree. So we can see which ones have the potential for for growth um, and and muscling and, and that relative to what we want out of their offspring. I'm curious about something you said there. I had not realized that overfattening would directly lead to fertility issues. When I think about overfattening too quick, I wind up thinking more about structural breakdowns that can happen. So if you do push someone so hard and fast that you've got some fertility issues there, is that something that can be repaired by backing them down or are you just stuck with that? Um, well, uh, I, to some degree, I think it can be corrected. Um, it depends on, I think, to the degree of fattening so that, so what we have too much fat in that epidermis in the testicles. And then we, we end up basically kind of like replacing that epidermis with fat cells, so to speak. We, we talk about the same thing in heifers. If we push heifers too hard and get them over fat, we, we have a long-term impact on their milk production because we are negatively impacting that mammary gland development. So we can have, the, have kind of the same situation in bulls, but a, the short-term thing is that the purpose of those testicles or, or that scrotum is to allow those testicles to maintain temperature during hot periods and during the winter time. So the, that, um, so when we add more fat to that scrotum that insulates those testicles. And so now they can't cool themselves. They can't, they can't stay cool enough. So we, then we have heat damage to the spermatozoa because those testicles can't cool themselves during the hot weather. And most of the time we're trying to breed through hot weather. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, so that's, that's one of the big reasons that we want to focus on not over fattening those bulls when we're growing them. So what advice would you have for breeders that are trying to think about building a ration? You know, we're all focused on the muscle development, like you said, you want to, you want to highlight what this bull can do for someone's herd, right? You want to highlight that muscle. You want to encourage testosterone and fertility. What do we really need to be considering when we're thinking about that ration? So, um, we need to think about, first of all, what feeds do I have available? Um, so what do I, what do I have in my area that is going to be cost-effective but then also provide good energy. So like low quality hay is out. I mean, if, if I've got low quality hay, works for a mid gestation cow, um, does not work for trying to grow a bull, you know? So 
I want to look for high quality forages the best I can. So, you know, in, in our part of the world, corn silage um, is, is one of those, um, maybe some high quality uh, legume type hay or something like that. Um, and then once I get past the forage component, then I'm looking at what kind of other feedstuffs do I have available? So, um, so thinking about different parts of the, the country, um, you know, maybe I have wheat mids available, maybe I have soybean holes available, maybe I have some distillers grains available, maybe I have some kind of some, I'll say niche feeds. So like um, vegetable and fruit waste or, or things like that for whatever part of the country I'm in and that has a high level of uh, fruit and vegetable production, um, those type of things. And so I'm looking at those because they have a high energy value, but they're not a lot of starch. Okay. So one thing we want to think about if, if we're, tr we're trying to grow these bulls, but we're try not trying to get them too fat and we're not trying to get, we, we don't want to, to, um, burn them out, so to speak, is what we, we tell you. We don't want to burn them up because the, we want a long life out of these bulls. And so we want to try to avoid getting too much starch in that diet. And so using some of these feed stuffs are high because they're high energy, but not high starch. And so these feed stuffs are what we call a highly digestible fiber. Um, and so that's, they are very highly digestible and give a lot the animal quite a bit of energy, but they're not starch. And so it doesn't have that same effect on, um, acidosis or, or pH in the rumen and, and negative impacts on, uh, rumen health. Um, the other reason we want to try to avoid, uh, lots of starch is because more than likely, uh, our forages that we're going to use are homegrown forages, and they're, we want to try to, to maximize the use of those. Um, and so if I get too much starch in there, I can have some negative consequences on forage digestion. Um, and so I, I want to try to balance that. I need to get enough energy into them to get them to gain what I want, but I don't want to or I want to maximize the util utilization of my forage that I've grown and put up that I, as I best I can. So what are some of those first signs that your ration is off and, and the rumen isn't quite functioning where you want it? Um, so, so if you, the cat, and this is a little bit difficult to, to evaluate in a pen situation um, but one of the first things is they're going to back off feed. If if you've got some acidosis issues because your ration's too hot, you're pushing them too hard, um, they're going to back off feed. Um, and so that if it's the whole group, then that's that's a really big deal, and you're going to notice that. But what you're not going to notice is if you've got a a pen, is you may have individuals in that pen that back off feed, but the rest of the pen is fine and you don't notice a change in feed intake um, or, or it's very small. And so you don't think much about it. Um, the other thing to look at would be feces. So um, lots of times when we have rumen acidosis, we're pushing starch past the rumen down the digestive tract to 
the hindgut or the colon. And so a lot of starch in the colon has the same effect. The, the microbes in the colon ferment that starch, decreases the pH, and the feces get very watery. Um, and so they'll be loose. They'll be, they'll be kind of, um, you'll notice maybe some air bubbles in there. You'll notice a lot of mucus discharge in there. Um, things like that when we were pushing too much starch uh, in those, to those animals. Smith Black Herefords out of Newton, Iowa are wonderful sponsors of this program. The Smith family has a breeding philosophy that serves both commercial and purebred cattlemen, a philosophy that they call the three P's model. When making selections for their herd and sale animals, every animal must have great performance, an excellent phenotype, and an elite pedigree. And that's exactly what they are offering. Through their use of AI and ET work, the Smith family is able to increase and utilize better genetics while creating new bloodlines to keep the Black Hereford breed moving forward, always focusing on those three Ps. As part of their dedication to bringing quality Black Herefords to a wider audience, the Smith family is excited to debut the signature Black Hereford sale on December 10th. The signature sale will be an online sale through Ag Sale Day and will feature not only Smith Black Herefords, but a few special guests. The Smith family will be offering a junior member incentive program on open females selling that day. The signature sale is sure to be a popular one, so you want to make sure you give yourself every advantage in the offering. A great way to do that is to take a look at what the Smiths are bringing to Kansas City, where they will have some of their signature offering on display at the American Royal. You can find Smith Black Herefords at smithblackherefords.com or Facebook, or give them a call. You can reach Jacob at 641-521-9947 or Mark at 641-521-0797. Do you have any special considerations to keep in mind? And this wasn't something I even thought about before. But with pen developing versus pasture developing bulls, you know, we all like to dream of being able to pasture develop every bull we have every year, right? But land availability isn't always there. Mm-hmm. So are there special considerations we need to keep in mind? Um, so when you're so here, I'm gonna make some assumptions. So when assuming that in a um pen situation you are feeding a totally mixed ration. So you have the ability to grind hay and mix with your feeds, the other feed stuff. So you're feeding a totally mixed ration. And when you're doing that, you know that every animal is getting the nutrients that they need in that feed because every bite should be the same. If you've, if you've done a good job of mixing your ration Um, and you're doing it and you're doing a good job of, managing that and knowing what they're eating um, and knowing how hot that ration is. Now, in a pasture situation, pasture alone is not going to be enough to get the rate of gain that you want on these bulls usually. And so we're going to need to feed them a grain mix um, along with that. And so now I'm looking at the grain mix and that's what I'm seeing, but I don't know how much forage they're actually consuming so it's a little bit more of a guessing game for me to uh, determine 
how much grain I need to give them to get the rate of gain I want, but not pushing them too hard um, to to burn out that rumen or or whatever. So so it takes um, some good observation, paying attention to cattle, looking at manure on a consistent basis, um, paying attention to the forage availability out there in the pasture, um, those type of things so that you can, it takes a, a quite a bit of management then to make sure that you're not um, overfeeding those bulls when you're in that situation. Yeah, that makes sense. I love, so we, we pasture raise our bulls whenever possible, keep them out as much as possible because I, I enjoy forcing them to walk <laughs> and move. And mm-hmm. so we feed them as far as we can from the water tank and, and they've got to travel and work for it because that's what our customers will be doing with them. And, and we've found some benefits that way, but it, it makes a lot of sense that we have less control over what mm-hmm. they're then consuming and that gain. Yeah. And, and, but that's, I mean, there's, that's a good positive that I didn't mention is on the pasture, you are making them get out and move. You're making them walk. You're um, it's easy to see cattle that have gotten lame. Um, It's, you don't have as many structural issues. And if you've got them in mud and whatever, in a, in a small pen, you don't have, you know, cattle have this, behavior of um being i'll call being bored you know so you put cattle in a in a pen they don't have anything to roam and graze and do whatever then they start doing things that that damage each other they start riding a lot more and yeah. other things like that and and so you can have more injuries in in that situation yeah and playing the injured bull game is no fun so <laughs> no Okay, so then shifting over to our herd sires, right? Any tips or things that we need to keep in mind with keeping those older boys going? I I think in the industry, and I'm speaking as a cow-calf producer here as well, we have a tendency to pull those bulls after breeding season, off to their pasture they go, and now they're uh, totally in the back of my head, not giving them near as much consideration until it's time to bring them back around. Mm-hmm, yeah, I forgot. I just forgot about them. And right, yeah, spring comes in, and it's like, oh, I, I maybe they didn't weather as well as I'd hoped. Mm-hmm. So, what do we need to be doing to to keep those old boys running? When you've invested a lot of money in a herd sire, they should not be back in the mind. So, so line me out here. Yeah. So we need yes, we need to be paying attention to them. Um, from just a general health perspective, need to be checking on them, you know, lameness, any other kind of health issues, um, you know, particularly maybe separating more mature bulls from the yearling two, three-year-old bulls that aren't mature size yet so that we avoid some some dominance and, and things like that. And those other bulls, those two, three-year-old bulls are still growing. So they may need a little bit more nutrition um, from the nutrition side, well, things we need to pay attention to is body condition. So, and depending on when your breeding season, what time of year, it depends on what you need to do. But hopefully that bull has lost some body condition during the breeding season. Because if he has not, he's probably not been doing his job very well. <laughs> um, and so he should be a little thinner coming out of breeding season. Now, if your breeding season is, say, early spring, 
you've got several months of summer grass yet, you know, or, or say early spring starts in early spring and you pull him out in early summer, you still have several months of grass and he's probably going to regain body condition score as long as he's got ample grass without any problem. Now, if your breeding season is further along in the summer and you're pulling him out of there in early fall, or even if, if it's a fall calving situation or something like that, and you're going to reuse him in the spring herd, you know, then you've got to think more nutritionally about meeting his needs to get him back in body condition score. So he may need number one, a protein supplement because the forage quality is going to be lower. And so he's going to need some protein to meet his needs and for those microbes in the rumen to digest that forage. Um, but then depending on the quality of that forage, I also made to get, need to give him some additional energy to get him to gain body condition score. So a, a bull that's not doing anything has really low nutrient requirements. So it doesn't take a whole lot, but um, I need to pay attention to what he has available and determine whether that's going to meet his needs or not to get him back into the body condition that I want come next breeding season. What about building them up for breeding season? What kind of body condition score do we want them in going into breeding season? So knowing that they're going to lose body condition score during breeding season, they they should be. So I want to build them up to probably a body condition score of at least six. Um, again, I don't want them over fat because the over fat bull doesn't chase cows. He's too fat. He's lazy. He spends too much time laying around. But I want him to have more flesh than my cows. My cows, you know, I typically want them body condition score five to six. I want him at probably at six, at least six, six and a half because I know he's going to lose body condition score during the breeding season. So he's probably going to come out of breeding season at a five or maybe a little less depending on how many cows he had to, to cover. Um, and so I need to build him back up. So that means I need to put probably about 200 pounds on him. Um, and so that, that gives you a ballpark of, okay, if I need 200 pounds, I've got however many days to the next breeding season to get him to gain 200 pounds. How much do you have to gain per day? You know, so it helps you kind of figure out what you need to get him to do to get him back where he needs to be. That's amazing when you think about it that way in, in pounds. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So we usually generally can consider. So in, in a cow, um, one body condition score is about 80 to 100 pounds in a bull because a bull has a larger mature size, one body condition score is going to be a hundred pounds, maybe a little bit more than a hundred pounds. So um, that's, that's where we kind of get that number. It's, it's a rough estimate. Um, every, you know, obviously every animal is a little bit different, but um, that's kind of where we get that rough estimate of. Well, yeah. And your frame size gain. is going to play into that a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Any, uh, additional things that we need to think about for longevity, for promoting longevity on these bulls. Um, so, I mean, probably some of the, the biggest issues that uh, hurt the longevity of a bulls are structural problems. And okay? so making sure that, you know, the, the ground they're walking on, where they have, you know, just keeping things out of there that's going to cause um, 
feet and leg problems, you know, things like that, that you can try to create their environment that's as safe as possible, put it that way. Can I dig into that one a little bit? Yeah. Can we talk about whether or not nutrition is tied to those structural problems? Yeah. So we think a little bit. So, um, you know, obviously if we have pushed them too hard at a younger age, we, you know, we may have, you may not see gross signs of founder, but if we had some lactic acidosis issues and, and they had some, um, too much, uh, acidosis and we actually got into metabolic acidosis where we decreased mm-hmm. blood pH a little bit, then that has some negative consequences on the lamina of the hoof. And so then that could shorten their lifespan as far as feet and leg soundness. And so um, we, we want to think about that as we're developing those bulls. But then also we've seen a little bit of evidence in this has been more in dairy cows than it ha- than than we've seen research in in beef animals, but um, the B vitamin biotin um, is important for synthesis of keratin, so the the nail on the the hoof mm-hmm. and and things like that. So. Um, We've seen some evidence that providing biotin to so those dairy cows that are walking on concrete all the time helps reduce um, feet and leg problems a little bit. And so there's it, it's I'll say the research is tends to to try, go that way. It's not like a cut and dry. Oh, yeah, this definitely helps. Um, but so there's been some thought that maybe that that could help in bulls, but I have not seen any specific research um, evaluating that. So, but that is one thing that's, that's out there and an idea that's out there as far as trying to help feet and leg problems in those bulls is making sure that they have um, high levels of biotin. Now, normally we don't worry about that in a cattle diet because it's a B vitamin. And so the microbes in the rumen synthesize all the B vitamins that the animal needs. And so usually they're providing enough quantity that we don't have to add B vitamins to the diet of ruminant animals like we do monogastric animals. But we have seen in certain situations, like I said, with those dairy cows, that they may be lacking in B vitamins that, that could help improve production and, and health. I bet we start to see more research on that because there's such a a push industry wide right now about foot problems. You know, that's kind of the hot topic Mm -hmm. right now. So it will be interesting to see what comes out of that. Yeah. Um, And then from nutritionally, the other, or I guess the other thing that typically ends a bull uh, leaving the herd is not passing a breeding soundness exam. And so, again, part of that is getting them over fat um, at a young age, um, but then also um, good vitamin and mineral nutrition um, at, in their their older years is important to improve that sperm development. So just making sure they're, number one, they're getting a vitamin and mineral um, trace mineral supplement. Um, and then number two, making sure it's a good quality 
one and and that it will um, meet their needs. So depending on your area, you know, you've got you've got different issues in different parts of the country with with minerals in the soil and forage and things like that. So making sure that what you're feeding is going to meet their needs based on where you are. So at our previous ranch location out in western Colorado, everything was salty. I mean, the rocks had salt, the grass had salt. We had to mm-hmm. do very little mineral supplementation. And we were actually buying some bulls from the sand hills and bringing them out there before we moved here. And we would just laugh and laugh because we would unload these bulls. And the first thing they would do was run over to the big rocks and start licking them. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing how quickly they felt mineral deficient from traveling. I mean, that was the first thing they looked for before they even ate was mineral. So, so let's, let's break things down a little bit here between mineral and salt. Salt is not right. mineral. Mineral. Okay. So we mix it all together. So I always put it, you know, I'm mixing it together. So I think yeah. of it as it's all in the same tub. <laughs> so, um, but what they're, what they're craving that situation is salt. I mean, and and that's why we put salt in mineral generally is to get them to eat it because right. a lot some of the minerals we use actually have a bitter taste. They, you know, and so um, we we are adding salt to that mineral to encourage intake. Um, and so so cattle will eat salt because they they have a craving for salt, um, just like we have a craving for salt sometimes, but we don't necessarily have a craving for iron. We don't have a craving for right. magnesium, you know, and so um, the, the cattle don't exactly know what they need. They just know that salt, they have a craving for salt. Salt tastes good They're and they'll, they'll eat salt. So that's why we use salt. Um, and so, but we can use that in different ways. In some situations, like in your case, probably out there, it was probably actually difficult to get them to eat a trace mineral supplement because they were getting yes. plenty of salt from everything else. And so one of the things we, in that situation, what we can do is add the, the trace mineral to some other type of supplemental feed, and then you can get them to eat what they need. Um, and then in some situations, we're in the other boat where the only place they're getting salt is from that mineral mix, and they're over-consuming that mineral yes. mix. And so one of the things that I can do there is to, I can again use salt. I can just, I can take plain white salt and mix it with my trace mineral mix and increase the salt content of the whole mix. So then the actual amount of the expensive mineral they're eating is where it's supposed to be, but their overconsumption part is just plain white salt. And it will, and because it's a lot of salt, it'll decrease their, their overall intake of that too. So I can use salt in different ways to balance how much mineral consumption they're, they have and get it to where I want it to be. That, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one thing we need to think about. I mean, when we talk about mineral supplementation, you know, we think about, okay, if I got the right mineral out there, okay, great. But it doesn't do any good if they're not eating the right amount. And so we need to pay attention to consumption, not just what is on the bag that I dumped out there in the mineral feeder. Well, I love that you mentioned that it is so local. You know, you need to know what your area is deficient in before you just bulk order whatever yes. mineral you can find. Mm-hmm. So in general, 
um, feed companies will manufacture mineral that's specific to kind of that region um, because of that. Um, uh, so paying attention to that. But then, you know, you may have some very unique situations on your ranch, depending on where you are, things like that. So um, I know in certain parts of the country, you, you can be on a ranch that has really high salt content and a little ways down the road has no problems, or they have really high selenium in the soil and a few miles down the road, there's no, there's, there's no problem. So um, in certain situations, you may need to test what your forage has. So you kind of know what your cattle are deficient in, or in the case of selenium, it can be a toxicity problem. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk us through all this. There's some great information here and I know you're a busy guy. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jennifer. I appreciate being on here and, and trying to, to help people out. Since one of the goals of this podcast was to help Black Hereford breeders connect with each other, as well as the commercial cattlemen and the wider cattlemen of our industry, I decided to start sprinkling in some interviews with some of our state associations. We've got some really awesome state associations in the Black Hereford world that are really working hard to keep the ball rolling on this Black Hereford thing. So as a bonus to you for sticking in with this episode so long, here is the North Carolina Black Hereford Association. Thanks for continuing to listen to the Black Hereford Chronicles. I had a request from several members that on this program, we take some time to highlight some of the amazing work that our state associations are doing. And so that's been a goal of mine is to start bringing on some of these state associations and give them a moment to talk about what they're doing and to kind of share what's going on in the various associations that we've got. So first up is North Carolina and I've got Bobby Peters here. So Bobby, will you kind of just give us a little rundown with what you guys are up to down there? Sure. We are, I'm pretty sure we're probably the smaller of the state associations um, so far. Um, so we're still in the process of getting out, educating those commercial buyers and registered people around us. Um, because it it's it's always true that when we drive down the road where we are, if they have Herford, they have Angus. Um, and so it's like, wait, is that, you know, are they trying to do that? And then I see all these new members come on to the American Black Herford Association. So it's it's really exciting because I feel like sometimes if you're out there and you're talking about it or posting pictures, you get all the people that are inquisitive. And then next thing you know, you have new members. So we're still in that stage, um, although we just had our first um, meeting for our members and we decided to get some board members on. We haven't. Um, done officers yet because I think we're still so new and we just need more input from each other um, and board members is kind of everyone's safe to be a board member not necessarily an officer so um, we just did that and posted our minutes on our website so you're more than welcome to go to the North Carolina Black Herford Association um, you can look at all the different farms there and read the minutes that we do whenever we have those meetings. How often do you guys typically meet? So that's something because we are so small. Um, we don't have huge things over here mm -hmm. um, in North Carolina that are big and exciting. 
Um, so right now we're just kind of meeting when we need to. So quarterly right now. Um, but we are trying to get out as an association a little bit more. So we have found some um, get togethers, like we're doing a farm show, hopefully um, in January through the end of January to February, um, just to kind of have someone man a tent um, kind of like the ABHA in Missouri has done it before. And um, I know Tennessee has done um, like agribitions and things like that. So um, we're just getting it all going and, and trying to get our name out there as much as possible. Well, those events I think are really powerful for getting just some of that basic information out there, making sure that people know that Black Herefords exist, that this is a thing. And I love that you guys are kind of pulling together to try to figure out both how to do this and how to do it in a way where it's not all dumped on one person, because we've seen that happen before too. And with the growth that we've had, these state associations, I think, are really going to be important for stepping up and taking on some of those things. Absolutely. So um, I personally was doing a lot for the NCBHA. um, And when you do something like this, you're doing it all. You're doing financial. You're doing, you know, the posting. You're doing the education. You're doing the picture taking. You're doing all of this stuff. Um, but there are people that want to help. So you, you just have to say, Hey, I need help. And I was able to do that. We all got together and now, you know, we have people that actually want to help and take pictures or I even what I do, which is absolutely free and free is for me. Right. So if you're on Facebook and you just ask someone for black Herford pictures, Oh my goodness. And there's your marketing. And I mean, we have people that are in Missouri that are posting pictures in Kansas or, you know, Virginia, Florida, Georgia. They're not even in North Carolina, but it's a great way for us as the NCBHA to be able to say, hey, look at these Black Herefords. Um, And so I'm so thankful to the members that have stepped up and said, hey, I'll help you with this and I'll help you with that. And you know, you're right. When you feel support from your other breeders, you know that it has nowhere to go but up, you know, so that's so important. Any other plans or goals for the North Carolina Association? Well, absolutely. Um, Growth, 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 and growth. Um, And we have members that are members of the um, American Black Herbert Association that aren't quite members yet of the North Carolina um, association. So my husband and I, Sean, we have decided to go to farms, um, local and out of state, um, to meet and greet because I see a lot of people posting, but I can't put a face with a name. Um, and we've found that to be so important with our showing background because we don't show, but it is kind of an excuse to get out and meet people and hear their thoughts and ideas. And then that allows us to come back and say, Hey, you know, so-and-so said that they did these aggribitions for instance. And I think that's a great way for us to get out there. So um, meeting and greeting, I know a couple of members, we're going to do ride alongs where we go to different farms and have the opportunity to meet them um, and potentially get new members to help with the education aspect of the North Carolina Black Herford Association, but Black Herford in general. Well, the education aspect, I think, is something that we all need to be focusing on because 
we're not Angus. You know, no. we, people need to know what we are. No. So we're, we're, go ahead. We're not, we're, <laughs> yes, that bothers. We're just a teeny tiny one time Angus. And then we only remember it because the hide is black. So um, that's so important. Yes. If there are people listening to this that are in North Carolina or some of the surrounding areas and they are curious, they didn't know you guys existed, what can they do to get involved? You can certainly pop over to our website, um, which is uh, NorthCarolinaBlackHerford.org. You can just Google it and it'll pop up. Um, And any and all information that you need to know, different farms, if you want to reach out to farms. Um, And that's something that I stress because I wouldn't be here if it weren't for those members that called me. Um, So just if someone calls and give them whatever information you can, um, there's uh, links on there that will get you to, like I said, our minutes that kind of give you an idea of what we plan on doing or have been doing. Um, You can pay for your membership online if you'd like, or you can mail a check. Um, But just reach out, call. Um, I'm always open to a phone call. I know many of our board members are. There's seven of us. So um, someone's always going to be there if people have questions or concerns, and we're more than happy to help. One more thing I want to pick your brain about, because you guys are so new and still going through the process of really building and developing this thing. Do you have any advice to any of the other states out there that are just starting to mull around with the idea of trying to pull together a state association? Absolutely. Call other state associations. Um, We reached out to Tennessee. Um, I've I've reached out to several that are in different state associations and just asked questions. It's different per state, of course, based on, you know, when it comes to taxes and nonprofit and all of that good stuff. Um, But have someone in your corner that can help you get through those channels, because here in North Carolina, we don't have anyone that does taxes for nonprofit anymore they've made it a little bit more difficult. So that's been difficult in trying to find someone to help on that side of um, our association. So having, I I hate to say it, but your ducks in a row, know what you're going to do, who you can call to ask those questions to. um, And any of us can help you with that as well. But just ask questions. That's the most important part and ask for help. Um, I think that's, number two because if you don't ask for help you're going to get burnt out and when you get burnt out then the association kind of just fizzles so is this um, you volunteering to be that person (laughs) so I have so much excitement for this um, breed I'm willing to do whatever I can um, to help Um, we all have jobs and most of us have children still, or we're traveling or, you know, even going to school or, you know, whatever the case may be, but there's always people there to help. And if we can't answer, maybe Tennessee can, or, you know, we've, everyone's been so helpful in us starting. So I couldn't imagine it being any different for anyone else that wanted help with it. Well, thank you, Bobby. I really appreciate you taking a minute out of your day to kind of let us know what's going on in North Carolina. I keep saying down there because to me, you're down there, but I suppose for a huge swath 
that doesn't make any sense. So I should just say in North Carolina, thank you so much. You are very welcome anytime. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Hereford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.